Good health is a crown worn by the healthy that only the ill can see. Your health really is your wealth. Join us for the next hour as we explore disease and attaining and maintaining good health. This is Dischem Medical Monday, brought to you by Dischem, pharmacists who care. Good morning, welcome to Dischem Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson. We are privileged today to be speaking to Dr. Kensani Chauke. She is a plastic surgeon practicing at Net Killingsfield Hospital with an interest in rhinoplasty. So Kensani, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for the invite. Good morning to everyone. And why the nose? Why your your obsession with the nose? <laughs> you know, I think what you love sort of calls you it, it, because it's it's it was nothing that was sold to me. But uh, it's the the first time I saw um, someone doing a nose, I just knew that. That's, that's it for me. There, there was, you know, nothing else but the nose. I just loved it. And, um, you know, the, the complexity and the intricacy of the whole operation is, it's just fascinating for me every time. Makes me anxious every time I do it, but, uh, it's, it's very nice. Okay. And, uh, so we're going to be speaking mainly about rhinoplasty today. Did you get much exposure in government when you were training to rhinoplasty? Not as much as I would like to uh, have liked to, um, but uh, I think the privilege of working in the Job, Job, Johannesburg complex is you get to go to, uh, you know, the, the uh, private practicing plastic surgeon. And I had the privilege of watching Prof. Chait do a rhinoplasty. And I think that's that's what blew me away. Like the first time I saw him doing it, I, I just told him, Prof., in two years' time, I'll be, you know, like you. And, you know, he just laughed and said, I believe you. And, you know, that, that just gave me the oomph to go on. Okay, so where did you actually learn so much about uh, rhinoplasty? I believe you traveled overseas to train? Yes. Um, so what happened after that, um, I started looking for people with common interests. And what, you know, happened was at around that time, um, there was an association of rhinoplasty surgeons that was formed and, uh, you know, it was formed by, you know, a few, uh, interested parties and one of them was Peter Scott and the other one was, uh, Cameron. And, you know, th- these individuals, what they did was, uh, they sat with me and said, look, if you're really interested, just, um, go to two particular congresses and the first one, that they chose was the Italian Congress, and the second one was uh, Miami. I went uh, for the first one that they recommended, and uh, that was in Italy, Bergamo. And while I was there, I said the like the the Congress was you know it, it would uh, start from 7 a.m. and end around 11. But I loved it so much. I sat through all those days. And on the last day, I went to the convener of the Congress, who was uh, Prof. Uh, Enrico. Uh, and I, I told him, look, I, I am going to be your next fellow. And he just laughed and said, look, there's a five-year waiting period for, you know, fellowship. But even when I came back, I just kept on emailing him to say, look, I'm packing my bags. I'm coming there. This is what I love. And, you know, there's no stopping me. And he said that pushed him to make sure that I get in on the next slot, which was like 
eight months down the line. So I went to Italy and, you know, worked with him for six months and that was the best six months of my life. Amazing. Okay. So most people, most people think rhinoplasty is a cosmetic procedure. People talk about rhinoplasty in those jobs. People don't like their outer appearance, but it's so much more than that. It is, as you know, um, uh, with rhinoplasty, it, it can be purely cosmetic, but most of the time it's uh, both cosmetic and functional. So with uh, any well-trained uh, rhinoplasty surgeon, they'll know that they cover both spheres when they're working, you know, working on the nose. And the best way to do that is to work with your colleague, as, as you know that we, I work with you on most noses to ensure that the breathing aspect of, uh, you know, the rhinoplasty is covered because there is no point of, um, you know, rhinoplasty, you know, a nose looking perfect, but the patient cannot breathe. That's, it, it defeats the point. So, you know, with a, a perfectly done or a perfectly executed rhinoplasty, you have the best contour with the best, best functionality. Okay, so uh, when do patients usually come and find you for rhinoplasty? Is it because they can't breathe properly or is it because they don't like the way they look? What What's the main percentage of your patients? So um, a lot of people would, you know, say initially I can't breathe. Like most of the patients would complain about breathing. And um, when you look at them and you look at their structure and you realize that, Actually, they have some sort of uh, septal deformity or they have been to an ENT who recommended that they see someone because what happens is although um, septoplasty, which is part of, you know, rhinoplasty, it can be done as part of rhinoplasty or as an, a separate entity that sometimes doesn't um, resolve all the breathing problems. You'll find that... Uh, the structural problems that lie in the uh, breathing mechanism has to be completely resolved before you can have like a perfect rhinoplasty. So what we do is we get together with a ENT surgeon, sit down, look at this patient, look at the CT scan and see what is exactly wrong and what we can do to execute the rhinoplasty perfectly. Okay, why don't you tell our listeners mainly where, where's the main obstruction, where when patients are either snoring, they can't breathe properly, they can't smell properly, where's usually the, the problem? So it could be an external problem or internal problem. So the external problem, we talk about the valves of the nose. So with the external valves is when your alas collapse, especially when you take a deep, deep breath. So the nostrils on the outside, those it, are collapsing. Yes, in. yes. So they, they collapse as you take a deep breath or when you're exercising or when you're exerting some sort of, uh, you know, physical uh, activity. Uh, or it can it could be due to an internal problems. So in on the inside of the nose we have what we called the turbinates. So the turbinates are just like um, you know little folds that usually will help filter the air or uh, warm the air. But sometimes the middle one and the bottom one can can just overgrow, and the middle one would, you know, entrap some air, and th this is what we call a conchabulosa. This has to be tackled, you know, especially during a rhinoplasty or a septoplasty or, you know, when you're trying to resolve a patient's breathing. 
And uh, the lower ones are the ones that are usually the problem because um, if you have a, an enlarged um, lower uh, turbinate, usually it's uh, sort of, um, how can I say it? So it, it, it uh, leans against your septum. And it blocks the airway, so the patient feels that they, they can't breathe properly, properly through the one nostril. So, you know, those are the major ones. And uh, posteriorly, you know, you can also have um, other problems that are usually attended to by ENTs. So that's why I usually would send all my patients to ENT, to see an ENT before I uh, attend to anything because they need to be assessed properly by both of us before anything can be done. Okay, we're going to take a short ad break. We'll be back now talking Rana Plus. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson. We are talking to Dr. Kensani Chauke. She is a plastic surgeon and rhinoplasty surgeon at Netcare Linksfield Hospital. If you've got any questions for her, please SMS in 34519, Telegram 061-895-1019. Or you can phone in 010-140-3020. We are speaking rhinoplasty. So um, a lot of patients want to know, can they have a rhinoplasty or a nose operation under sedation? They don't want to have a whole general anesthesia going to theater. Is that possible? So it is possible, but it's not what we do. Like it's, you know, in most of the rhinoplasty, you know, or amongst rhinoplasty practitioners, um, one thing that you you want to do is to be in control at all times. And uh, with, you know, sedation, a patient can still, you know, hear what's going on. Um, sometimes they feel pain. Sometimes they want to cough. And, you know, that is uncomfortable both for the surgeon and the patient. And there's sometimes blood trickling to the back of the nose. So what we prefer is a patient should be completely under general anesthesia. We want to control the blood pressure, bring the systolic, which is the higher part of the blood pressure, which is usually around 120 to 90 at all times. Because you, if you don't have... Uh, you, you can't control the bleeding, then you can't execute a nice rhinoplasty. And, uh, you know, the, and that's, uh, you know, the most important thing. And the other thing is to control the pain and the discomfort of the patient of hearing everything that is going on, us talking and us buzzing with the instruments, you know, in front of them. So I would never, ever, ever do that. I agree with you. I yeah. tell the patients, well, it's best for you and it's best for me exactly. for you to be sleeping because exactly. I want to be the most comfortable so that I can yes. operate properly. True. And uh, B, I think, you you know, it's best for them to be completely still and uh, unaware of, of what's going on. Yeah. I think some people just have a, a fear of general yeah. anesthesia often and once you assure them that it's, you know, safe and they meet the anesthetist and they explain to them the whole procedure, yeah. Um then they might be uh, more comfortable. We've got a, a SMS or a telegram from Benji. It says, would folding the lower nasal conker be considered a restrictive or obstructive disorder? Folding. Folding. I'm not sure what that, uh, what, um, what that means. When we usually speak of restrictive or obstructive, that's usually in the, in chest. the chest, not in the nose. Mm. Um, but it would probably, um, 
be abstract? I mean, I mean, if you you saying, uh, I'm just trying to understand the question. Maybe you could just be more specific, Benji. If they are swollen, the turbinates or the nasal concha, which they also refer to, if they swollen and they have folding, you can um, they can obstruct nasal breathing. Uh, significantly so that at the time of rhinoplasty <coughs> or septoplasty or even just by itself you mm. can reduce the size of the lining you can fracture the bone you can take out bone mm. to reduce the obstruction i hope that answers your question do you agree with me yeah i agree okay 100 percent. okay and <coughs> how long do patients usually have to stay in hospital is it a day procedure or um you, you know we we require that the patient stay overnight because the the most one of the most important things after you've done the rhinoplasty is the aftercare. You want to be able to downregulate their pain because where there's pain, there's edema. Where there's edema, then there's uh, uncontrolled um, scar formation. So when you downregulate the pain initially and downregulate the edema, your your contours can be you know, it's, it can start forming early and you can, you know, lessen the, the type of scarring that you have. When a patient has excessive edema, not only does it compromise the blood supply, but it compromises all the structuring that you did underneath. So that's why we... So you, you control their pain by giving them yes. intravenous painkillers and that... Yes. How does that control the swelling and the edema? So when you have uh, excessive pain it's followed by inflammation so okay. we try and control all the inflammation you okay. know pain and then you know just to control the inflammation sometimes when the we see that the swelling is is excessive on table what we do is we give an a, just a washout dose of uh, triamcinolone which is a steroid uh, so in a patient who has thick skin and is prone to prolonged inflammation, when I've done an extensive rhinoplasty with the gloving, I will so wash just out. Expi- I'll just explain that to the patient. It means that yes. we'll talk about it just now. You can have internal, external rhinoplasty, meaning you can operate all on the inside so you don't have mm. um, any scars on the outside. And a degloving means where you make your incision so that you almost lift the external nose skin off the nose so that you can get better access to the nose. True. So the the skin that covers the nose is more like a tent. So once you, you know, you've uh, opened the nose nicely on the nasal, you know, not on the nasal bridge, on the, I don't know what the columella is, but... The stra- well, there's a strut of, I guess, yes. car- a supporting strut of cartilage that's on the, the columella is basically that. Just above the lip. Above your lip, between your nostrils, that yes. supporting yes. column, I guess you could exactly. explain it like that. Yeah, and then you, you remove almost the whole envelope. And, it, it, but, you know, the way we remove is we make, and you know, some of the incision inside the nostrils. So those ones are not even visible. The other ones that are made just above the lip, you know, they start disappearing within the first few months. And, you know, after that, they are hardly ever visible. So that's, you know, the, and that's the procedure of, that I prefer the most because it gives me the most control. Sure, and better, much better access to Yeah, much better, you know, binocular vision. Like you can see everything that you're doing. You can restructure everything and control it and put switches on everything so that, you know, five years down the line when, um, you know, even when someone is hit 
or with a soccer ball or whatever, your structure underneath, it doesn't get destroyed. Okay. So you say you keep them overnight to control their pain, and w- what kind of uh, dressings? Do they have like a splint over their nose, or yes. do they have plugs in their nose? What do you what do you do? Okay. So we put a special type of steri-strips that also reduces the edema, and then on top of the steri-strips, then we put a splint. That splint should stay on for seven, about seven days. Internally as well, we put, uh, you know, the, the plugging and splints. The plugging will remove the following day, but uh, the internal splints as well, we, we keep for about three to five days just to make sure that there's no blood that accumulates between where we've uh, made those incisions. Okay. And uh, the pa- where, how often do you see the patients? When do you see them after? So preferably, you know, after, you know, t- the day of discharge, I would want to see you on day three, then day seven, and then we can take it from there. You know, you can come like uh, weekly until I'm happy with the swelling, and then thereafter, you know, once a month or so. Okay, and, and when can patients resume, uh, resume normal life? Going so, back no. to going back to work okay. or, or sport, well, we can talk it, about all it, those. Yeah, things. it depends on the type of procedure that was done because you know it's not a you know one type fits all kind of procedure. So some people will have a minimal kind of procedure that in ten days they're able to function, but others would have an extensive procedure where even the nasal bones themselves we break and realign properly. And uh, it, those ones would take about a month. And if they are sporting people, I would recommend that for six weeks, no, you know, no um, sporting of any sort. And uh, you know, with with high impact sports people, yes. you you want them to stay off the the sporting activity up 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 until about uh, five to six months because the the bone healing is the most important once they they crack that bone again while um it's still healing then it's it's another deformity and it's even harder now when you go back in okay we're going to take another ad break we're talking rhinoplasty with Dr. Kensani Choke. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dean Gerson. We are speaking rhinoplasty to plastic surgeon and rhinoplasty surgeon, Dr. Kensani Choke. She is practicing in Netgear Linksfield Hospital. If you've got any questions for her, you can SMS 34519, Telegram. 0618951019 or you can call in our studio number 0101403020 we are busy speaking about rhinoplasty so what's the youngest age a person could have a rhinoplasty okay so um the youngest i would do with a girl it would be around 15 years of age and boys 16 years of age but uh with th- that is because of the skeletal maturity you know it's reached at around that age because the platform which is the the you know the mid face where you do your rhinoplasty if it's still growing it can st- destabilize your your whole uh rhinoplasty um, but the other thing that you wait for is the patient's maturity level they have to understand what you're doing to their nose. So if you see, even if they're, they're 18, but you realize that they don't have the maturity to understand what you're going to, to do and what is required of them, 
Um, I think I would defer doing them until such time that we've gone over everything and I, and, you know, I can see that they understand. And sometimes you, you have to get, you know, their parents or the loved ones involved in, in the whole process, especially, you know, when they are a little bit too young. So, um, when you get the parents involved and, you know, and their buy-in, then it's easier to control the the post procedure management but if they you know they're not yeah, actively involved it becomes you know very hard and how do you deal with the expectations post op expectations do you do i know some people have these fancy cameras that uh, show before and after but you can't show exactly what it's going to be like and it must be very difficult to manage the, the patient expectations it is quite difficult with um, with a rhinoplasty it's you know, you, you, what generally as rhinoplasty surgeons we're taught is, and this is spoken about at every Congress is a patient who comes in with a picture of someone and they tell you that's the nose that they want. That's the patient to avoid. The reason why is because they have those expectations that you can never even reach. So you have to, Tell them why you you're not going to do that because first of all, their facial form is different from the person that they're looking at, so that's why you you can never get you know a similar uh, nose to someone that you you admire, especially celebrities. And uh, secondly, with although the surgical skill must might be there, the patient healing processes are also different. So there are some who heal badly, who like will form scars, terrible scars, and uh, there are some that would heal very well. And the anatomy of the nose, I'll give you an example. With black people, they have very thick skin. So what you, you would do in, in those patients is to put a lot of structures underneath, your framework underneath, to make sure that even as they heal and that uh, the skin starts tightening around your whatever you've put underneath, it doesn't destabilize everything. And all, all that framework that you did is still visible and nice when you look at them. But with Caucasian patients, you have to understand that the skin is a little bit thinner. So you do not go and put a lot of, of structure that can be visible. And sometimes in Caucasian patients, when the, the skin is very thin, you have to cover it with a bit of fascia and a, a bit of dice uh, cartilage just to, you know, camouflage how sharp your, you know, you, the carving underneath is. So it's, it's, it's a tight balance of what you would do in, in different patients. Okay, do you ever say, I know we spoke about the other day, do you ever um, patients who might have um, different disorders like body dysmorphic disorder, do you send all your patients, your rhinoplasty patients, to see a psychologist or psychiatrist before? Not all of my patients, but, um, you know, the, I think the, love, the, the lucky thing about um, having patients who know themselves is you would have a lot of patients coming in saying, I have, you know, depression, I have anxiety. And when you ask them about, you know, how they feel about their nose, they're very frank about it. So those patients who are very frank about what's going on, 
um, and they are willing to talk about it with you and a psychologist, then I'm happy to do. But uh, those patients who want to um, do then a nose because someone said something terrible and they never, you know, recovered from that or there was a divorce, a recent divorce, and they think the nose is the reason why they're getting divorced, something like that, a major life event, then I would defer that and refer them to a psychiatrist. And it, it usually helps not only you but the patient as well because, um, you know, a few will come back and say, you know what, I realize that what I, I need is not a nose job. Rather, I needed uh, psychotherapy or I needed my depression and anxiety dealt with. So it's, it's, it's also a, a fine balance to, you know, between us and the, the psychiatrist. And we have a close relationship as well so that we, we discuss um, which patients to refer and which ones not to refer. Because, I mean, I can imagine the biggest nightmare would be a um, patient who's never going to be happy with their nose no matter what you do. Yes. So, if we, you know, the, the interesting thing is when I was in Italy, we had one patient who, uh, and it was a young male patient who came in and he had a nose job. It was very nice. You know, he, the person I was working with, the prof I was working with is, is very good. He does about 10 per week. And... Um, this patient was so unhappy with his nose that we saw was looking perfect and we reassured him. He stayed in the hospital just outside the gate in his car, not even, you know, going to the toilet. He had, you know, the empty cans that he was <laughs> just peeing in. Wow. And he okay. just, you know, insisted that he wanted uh, things to be done. The police had to be called. Okay, so you can tell there's something not normal. Not normal. And uh, eventually, you know, my prof said, okay, let me just do something. And we, we sedated him and he injected, you know, just normal water saline. Yes. Just to see. And the patient woke up and said, it's perfect. So it's okay, yeah, so that, well. it's a psychiatric issue there, and uh, it, it. I think we should have, in in hindsight, it should have been addressed before this patient had any sort sort of procedure, and that was a learning curve also for me, you know, because uh, with the teaching is to avoid very eager young male patients and uh, very middle-aged obnoxious patients, and that's a uh, that's what is in the textbooks because we've had quite a few rhinoplasty surgeons being killed in America. Oh my gosh. Yeah, because of the, you know, psychiatric, underlying psychiatric issues in, in rhinoplasty surgeon. So, um, a body dysmorphic disorder in general, in the general population is said to be a, a, around 15%. But in rhinoplasty patients, it can be as high as, you know, 30%. So that's why we should always be on the lookout for, you know, who has some sort of psychiatric underlying problem and who is genuinely, you know, just wanting some sort of, uh, you know, cosmetic uh, surgery that has nothing to do with, uh, you know, psychiatric issues. Okay. So what are the different types of, of rhinoplasty? So there are three main types. Um, so... We have the closed one uh, where your, the incisions are made inside the nose. This incision mean, meaning the cuts are made inside the nose. You, you don't see any, 
any scars on the outside, no incisions on the outside. And that, you know, the proponents of that procedure say that it's, it's minimally invasive, meaning that you, you don't, um, disrupt a lot of things on the nose and they can do quite a lot, you know, through a small incision. But, you know, they, with us who are proponents of open rhino, Open rhino meaning that I make a, a cut and open the nose completely. And um, the your incisions are just at the part of the nose where it's just above the upper lip and the rest of the cuts are inside the nose. Is I want to see everything that I'm doing. I want to be able to control the bleeding nicely. I want to be able to, to put add structures that I need to add without worrying if they're going to, you know, move. I want to be able to to put and secure um, the whatever I've added on to the nose, and I want to observe my symmetry while you know the nose is still open. Because once you leave the table, there is no not much of an improvement that happens after that. So w the best results that you ever get is the one on table before you even close the nose. The Nice thing about that that incision is if it's aligned properly, it heals very well. Um, and then there is another technique called, um, you know, the the oh, what preservation preservation rhinoplasty. With the preservation rhinoplasty, is it's an overlap between the two. And so you you can or might not make the cut on the just above the upper lip. And then you just cut the top part of your your septum, and you press the the hump down. This is for patients who have dorsal hump. But the problem with that is the spring back effect because the you know the the tissues our tissues have memory, so people have found a way of securing. But we still have that problem of you know months down the line the patient starts noticing the dorsal hump again and they say what but what did you do and and it's because of that spring back effect but we are now just trying to find ways of securing um you know whatever you do in the nose and that was you know that's what uh prof gubish who is uh in german in germany uh the german rhinoplasty boffin you, you know he taught me that one thing that he has seen throughout his 30 years of doing rhinoplasties is if you don't secure stuff, it's going to move no matter who you are or where you are. So you always have to put some sort of securing stitches to make sure that what you've done stays the way it is. Okay. Very interesting. And um, you said what what types of diseases or or malformations are there in the nose? That you can address during rhinoplasty. You briefly mentioned one called a, a dorsal hump. What are the different parts of the nose that you can address? It? All right. So, um, in terms of the cosmesis part of it, you can address the tip, which we say it's a tip only rhinoplasty. It's a shorter version of uh, of rhinoplasty where someone is unhappy with the the way their tip looks or the way their tip is hanging. And, uh, you know, you can address the, the ailer and, you know, just to make sure that there is no collapse when they're breathing. You can address the dorsal hump as well. 
but going in as all in the columella, because there's uh, some people who would have a columella overhang, which is the part of the nose that is uh, just above the lip. You so that's where, where you can see like the nos- the inside of the nostrils hanging down, exactly, I guess. Exactly, exactly. And uh, on the inside of the nose, um, you know, and that is more your part where you, to while we're busy, you, you address uh, if the patient has polyps, you have to cut out the polyps, and uh, to address, um, you know, the concabulosa. We've ta- we've spoken enlarged about tabernets, that. yeah, yeah, the enlarged tabernets, and um, you know, the deviated septum as well. So. And and this is while you you're also harvesting the septum for me the, the, the cartilage which we use for camouflage. Okay, and what about um, the bony structure, the nasal bone itself? What can besides the hump okay. on the outside? I mean, if people's got a broad so, nose or a thin so nose. So if if uh, a person has a broad nose and uh, it's you know the broad nose when it's proportional to your facial structures is not a problem. But if it's disproportional to your facial structures, then we have to narrow it down a little bit. So how we narrow it is you have to break the the sides of the bone. And it's, you know, we can break it completely, which is is circumferential to narrow it. But we only do that if I haven't taken out the whole septum to fix it. So this, that's taking out meaning it's a procedure called extracorporeal. Because if you start taking, you know, um, breaking all the bone while you've taken out all the septum, the, the whole nose, uh, is, yeah, it collapses because you've, you've taken out all the framework. So we look at, you know, how can I narrow the nose but not destabilize the nose? That's, um, you know, and it's a safety mechanism. And, we can also, after, you know, narrowing it, what we find is sometimes you can develop a little bit of um, a hump there. Then we have to rasp it a little bit, which is it, like grinding it down. Okay. Yes. And the radix, you find that some people have an, um, an elevated um, area between their eyes, which we call the radix. So we can deepen that by rasping and or... Elevate that if it's it's too deep, we can just put what we call a radix cushion. A radix cushion, we just take a lot, of, you know, a bit of fascia, and we just fold it a little bit, and we place it there, and we suture it in place, so that it, you know, your your radix can come up a little bit. Where do you get the fascia from? Fascia, um, just for our listeners, fascia is maybe just a, a part of connective tissue that we have it, often covering muscles and. True. So um, it would depend if. If I'm harvesting a rib, then it's easy. Then I'll get the fascia from, you know, your, your, um, muscles that form the six pack. It's, it's the easiest part because that's, that's where my incision is, is. So I just take the top part of that fascia, not all of it. And, uh, it's, it's, like I said, it's the same incision. It's hardly three centimeters wide. Why would, speaking about that, why would you harvest a rib? What, what would you take from the rib? So the rib I use mainly when it's it's um, a either I'm doing a, a black patient, you know, with black people we don't have a strong you know strong cartilages, so our, our, the support is usually not enough. So and you you can't use your 
the the cartilage that is inside your nose you have to get a little you know some cartilage somewhere else that is a little bit firmer so i'll i'll harvest the the rib cartilage because it's a, your own cartilage the chances of it you rejecting it is much less and um or if if it's a revision rhinoplasty where your your septal cartilage has been harvested before or you've had a septoplasty before and I need to rebuild your three-dimensional structure inside the nose because that's that's the essence of a of a secondary or tertiary rhinoplasty, because the structure now has you know fallen apart. You you have to harvest cartilage from somewhere, either the the rib or the ear if if you don't need a lot. But the rib is um, the second best to septal cartilage. Okay, so you take pieces of the rib and you use it as a structure yeah, yes. in, inside there. No, it's very interesting. Mm. Okay, we're going to take a short ad break and we're going to continue talking rhinoplasty. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discam Medical Monday. We're in your final quarter of the show. We're talking to Dr. Kentani Shoke. We're speaking about rhinoplasty she's a plastic surgeon and a rhinoplasty surgeon at netkillings field hospital so who pays for the rhinoplasty i mean i imagine if it's cosmetic the patient needs to lay out but does medical aid ever cover anything for rhinoplasty yes so with a medical aid uh, you know you have to motivate whether it's completely cosmetic or it's uh, functional Usually some medical aids will pay for functional rhinoplasty because they, they understand the importance of, you know, breathing on someone and just managing every other structure while you're doing the nose. But, you know, some of the medical aids don't pay for any of that. So with patients who come in seeking just maybe for dorsal hump excision, that the medical aid will not pay for. And they need to understand that even the, you know, the consultation part of it, the medical aid won't cover that. But with the functional part of it, the medical aids usually would cover, but we have to write several letters to say, look, this is what's happening. This person cannot breathe and I need to open up the nose and work with my colleague who's an ENT surgeon just to you know, get the nose functioning optimally. Yeah, because I mean, often I see patients who come in and they say they can't breathe or they're snoring terribly. Mm. No, I mean, it's not always the cause of the snoring, yeah. but if we do attribute to nasal collapse or an obstruction in the nose, you know, we, we know how dangerous uh, snoring and uh, sleep nap- apnea is. True. That uh, it's a really, I mean, an important thing that can affect quality of life and besides quality of life, the actual um, health of the patient. We know that snoring can cause cardiovascular disease mm-hmm. and it um, can cause marital disputes, can <laughs> cause, it's dangerous for a patient to to snore. Yeah. So I guess I hope there would be some understanding from the medical aids. I saw recently in the newspaper that just on a separate subject that um, for breast reduction there was a whole... Um, Yes. Plea to medical aids that they weren't paying for breast reduction because they saw it as a cosmetic procedure more than uh, a procedure that uh, was going to be um, helping the patient relieve um, back pain. Back pain. Yes. So often, I mean, it is as you know, daily struggle um, def- negotiating with uh, some of the medical aids. Okay, so we've got a question. What about um, if patients had a rhinoplasty before? 
They've had a nose job before, and uh, either with the same surgeon or a different surgeon, and it wasn't they weren't happy with the results, or there was something that needed revision. When when should the patient come back, or when do you replan or redo the revision? Okay, so you know what is usually punted is uh, the patient should wait um, about twelve months or so, but um, what we do is look at the patients individually. So if the nose uh, itself, the, it's twisted or there's pinching or there is a retraction, those things, even with time, it's not going to get better. It's, it's actually going to, you know, worsen and it will make the revision much worse. But if, you know, whatever is happening is related to prolonged edema, but this, you can see that the structure underneath is looking relatively good and there is no compromise in breathing. You can tell a patient to wait about 12 to 18 months. There are patients that, you know, I've revised after six months because you can see that once the, the soft tissue or the envelope pulls or retracts quite a lot, I won't be able to you know, pull it back into place. So those patients, I try and just do them a little bit earlier or there's a severe distortion. You want to get the alignment straight before the tissues have memory and uh, there's um, formation of, of severe scarring. So with, with healing, what we want to avoid is um, getting the myofibroblasts in the tissue. We, we like the fibroblasts, which help us to, uh, you know, with the healing process. It, it, it uh, builds the framework for healing. But once you get, um, you know, a lot of myofibroblasts, myo is, is uh, you know, the, the term that we use for muscular tissue. Fibroblasts, it's growing cells. So those ones, they pull in everything and they can distort almost everything. So once you realize that, there's probably activity of the myofibroblast. This person is, everything is getting pulled into an undesirable direction. Then you have to go in there a little bit e- earlier. Okay, so um, what, in general, when would you say all the swelling has gone down and you can see the, the results uh, after a... Yes. So, with, you know, with the swelling, people differ. Um People who have a heavy envelope, which means a heavy skin, which like black patients, would usually take longer to, you know, for the swelling to go down, which is a year to 18 months. People who have a thinner skin would actually, the swelling goes down much, much faster and they're able to, you know, you can be able to view your results early. But with rhinoplasty, one, you know, the the saying is that you never fully see your results until after five years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, your your patient is your patient for five years, and thereafter you can say, Phew, you know, I'm happy that my structure stayed in place. Um, you know, there is no distortion. There's no ailer retraction. You, there's no settling of the nose. Now I'm happy to say that I don't have to see you again. But until then. They are your patient, and when they call with a concern, you have to bring them in and address it. Wow. Okay. What are some complications maybe post uh, rhinoplasty? What do you discuss with the patients? 
Okay. So the complications can be those that happen early and those that happen late. The earlier ones are, you know, common, the bleeding, the pain, the swelling, um, you know, the, the it's raccoon eyes. And that is, for most patients, they find most disturbing because they, they say people ask them if they've been fighting. Or Why something. do they get blood under their eyes or... So, yeah, they get blood under their eyes, usually after you've done a, you know, an extensive degloving and you've broken the bones of the nose just to pull them in a little bit or to break them outwards. It's because it's so close to the eyes. What happens is the smaller vessels bleed underneath the eyes and the swelling. So what we we try and do is um, for those patients who swell a lot, we put an ice pack on the nose and just underneath the, the eyes just to control the the swelling. But that's what you should discuss beforehand. By um, around day six, day seven, patients would start, you know, some patients will start having infection, which, you know, usually what we try and, and do to preempt it is, is um, to put them on prophylactic antibiotics for three days after and not to leave the pecs in, in the nose for too long and the splints, you know, foreign bodies, because we splint not only the ala but the septum itself. What do you well. use for splints? So we have uh, specialized plastic splints that we splint the, the septum with and we stitch them in place. So we'll put a single stitch uh, just to make sure that there's no blood accumulation between the sleeves of uh, the septum where the septum was harvested. Because if you leave it, then blood will accumulate, then it will be, in, you know, that can form an abscess in the long run. So, and um, with the ALA also, the splints are plastic splints that we we shape nicely to make sure that we we stitch it in and you don't accumulate blood there. And then on the nose, uh, we spoke about it earlier, we put um, external, know, splint. external splint. And, um, you know, that's, you know, it's uh, also maybe partly a cosmetic problem for some patients to be walking around with so many splints. But it's just for, you know, just to preserve some of the structuring that we've done. Um a blocked nose they can have for up to two weeks. So what you would do is you put you you give them saline spray to wash out as often as possible. The ointment to put on the nose to prevent dryness, especially if you've made a, a columella incision, to just make sure that the whole area stays moist. And um, you know going forward. Um, now we we into late later complications. The later complications would be, you know, the distortion, the pinching of especially the tip, the um, you know just small little humps that come in, um, breathing problems because now as they're healing the septum deviated again. This this usually would okay if you haven't done securing stitches as well, and. Uh, Asymmetry. Asymmetry is a big thing as well. And when we talk about asymmetry, we talk about not only when you look at the person straight, even from underneath the nose, because some people like taking 
selfies and taking the bottom part of their nose. So they want to see that even their nostrils are symmetrical. symmetrical, which usually even in nature, the the nostrils are not symmetrical, but they want to see it once they've had this procedure. And you have to be understanding of that as a rhinoplasty surgeon. Okay, we're going to take a final ad break and then we'll be wrapping up. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Okay, welcome back to Discam Medical Monday. We're speaking to Dean Gerson and we are speaking to Dr. Kensani Chaoke. We're speaking about rhinoplasty. We're wrapping up. What else would you like to share about, about rhinoplasty? Anything before we finish off? Yes, um, a lot of patients uh, ask me why we don't put our befores and afters um, on our websites, on you know YouTube, on on Instagram, like um, you know the Americans do. So with the South African legislation um, and uh, the Health uh, Professional Council, we are prohibited to you know from doing that. We cannot put our patients on social media. We, you know, they say it's, uh, it's, it's not only, um, unethical, but it's, you, you know, you're infringing on your colleagues' comp, you know, competitiveness or, so, you, you know, according to them, we're you're not. You're not allowed to advertise and you're not, you're not allowed to show the results. Exactly. Here. So we, we, do, we generally don't do that. And this is reinforced to us with every Congress that we have that if you have, uh, you know, befores and after on your website, please take it down because it, you know, you can be penalized for it. So that's, that's why they're not there. So people should not expect us to, to have, uh, befores and afters on Instagram on all. Are you allowed to show in your rooms when patients come to you? I can show you, you know, of patients who have agreed that I can, yeah. So those patients who agree, I'd make them sign that they, they allow me to show other patients my results or whatever. But, you know, generally we don't do that. Um, I think that's that's the most important thing because one of the patients actually contacted me by email and said I should send her the pictures of other patients that I've done, and she became angry if you know when I couldn't, and I told her, look, it's illegally it, not allowed. To. I'm not allowed to do that. Yeah. Okay, so um, besides rhinoplasty surgery, what other surgeries do you, um, do you do, or do you have an interest in? Yes, so you know. My other love is facial plastic surgery. Um, I do breast and contouring surgery, and um, but other than that, I'm not so much interested so much in in microsurgery. I have to say because uh, you know I have good friends who have done microsurgery. Yeah. They're happy with it, yes. and I'm happy to send to them. Uh, you know, in Bedford View, there's uh, Dr. Sofianos who does them. So. You know, we work closely with them. Dr. Dukas, the way I work, does them. So I, I generally don't do microsurgery, but uh, the other stuff I do. Skin uh, incisions? I yeah, mean, ex- excisions? Trauma, yes, I attend to. The, the um, cancer, skin cancer excisions I do, but not microsurgery. Okay, so how do people get hold of you if they want to make an appointment? So they can call my rooms, uh, it's 011-485-4434, or 
or they can you know call me you know i prefer whatsapp actually when the the, the lines are down it, it's um zero eight triple four triple three seven four do you want to say they get both numbers again it's o one one four eight five double four three four the rooms or you can whatsapp me on zero eight triple four triple three seven four very good thank you so much for joining us Thank it's you been a very informative uh, session. We look forward to having you back again one day. It's a pleasure. Thank you so Good. much. Thank you for listening to this game, Medical Monday 101.9 High FM. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson. Hope you all have a good week, and we'll see you next week.